0: Good morning. Good to be with you on this rainy Sunday morning, first Sunday in January. I've been looking forward to this day for a while. Um, As you saw from the video, and as you know we've been talking about uh, for the month of December, um, we're starting this new series called The Journey. Um, If you're if you're not aware, even if you've heard a little bit about it, I want to spend some time this morning as we get started um, to kind of explain again what we're doing, where we're going, why we're doing this, and um, and trying to kind of lay a little more groundwork. Um, part of the reason why is because if you talk about something as it's coming up, you kind of catch bits and pieces, but it's once you get into it, you really need to say, okay, here's how we're going to do this again. So let you know. First things first, if you haven't grabbed... a a journey book. There are some that are back around here on the info table. If you want to, even right now, nobody will judge you. If you don't have one, feel free. You can go over there and grab one so you can put your sermon notes in it. Um, I'll explain a little more about this in just a second. Um, Early in 2014, Fudd and I were meeting together and we were talking about uh, the preaching series we were going to do for 2014. We wanted to kind of map it out a little bit, um, times when he would be preaching, times when I would be preaching, uh, what we felt the Lord maybe leading us to go through, things of that nature. And while we're there, we, we tossed around the idea um, that we would love to take our church through the Bible in a year. Now, this, this idea of going through the Bible in a year as a church wasn't, wasn't original with us. Um, we would give a full credit to somebody else. We didn't, we didn't. That wasn't like our brainchild. But as we did it, we said, you know, we want to do it in a way that, that fits remedy. <clears throat> and the more we talked about it, the more we prayed about it, the more excited we got about it. Um, because as a church that loves the Bible and, and loves studying the Bible, loves teaching the Bible, loves reading the Bible, we thought, well, what a great way for us to take the, the breadth of Scripture and not just say, hey, you as a church family, read the Bible this year, and we'll just keep doing what we're doing, but to say, you know what, let's as a church journey through this together. And so what we did was we said, okay, we want to encourage everybody to read the Bible in a year, but let's go a step further. Let's, let's tie that in to our Sunday morning sermons, not just in a mention of, hey, don't forget to read your Bible in a year, but let's, let's, let's preach on texts that we've read earlier that week. And then in our community groups, let's, let's discuss what we've been reading. So this whole year, it's not just something that we we get excited about at the beginning of the year, say, hey, make sure you do this, give you a Bible reading plan, and not really talk about it again until the next January. So no, let's invest in this. Let's, let's do this. And so we put some legwork, we put some time, and what we came up with was this... This series we're just called the journey because we're we're gonna we're on a journey together. we're gonna walk together. Um, and so if you if you had your book hopefully you got started this week on Thursday, if not before um, if you're not sure, you've not seen it each day um, has uh, readings for you. There's six readings a week. Uh, you don't have a reading on Sunday. Uh, there's 25 readings for the month. so that way if you if you miss a day it's okay you got five days to help catch up on and if you miss a day, it's all right. God will not strike you dead okay? But just jump back in, pick it back up. But there's readings, and then what will happen is, if, you, if you've done your readings, you'll see that there's there's four different readings a day. Um, so for instance, on the first day, there's a reading from Matthew, a reading from Acts, a reading from Psalms, and a reading from Genesis. So you read those readings. And so as we keep with this throughout the year, then we will read the entire Bible together. But then what we're going to do is on Sunday mornings, we will take one of those passages that you've read this week and we'll preach on it. And what we decided to do is we would group those together. So in January, all the sermons will come from the psalm readings. So this Oaks of Righteousness series, our January sermons will all come from the readings that you will have in psalms. So this morning we'll be in psalm 1 which was the first reading in Psalms. Um, next week, it'll be looking at Psalm 8, which will be one of the readings in Psalms. So you see how that'll go. And then in February, we'll shift. That all the sermons will be from your Exodus and Leviticus readings. And so you see how that'll work. So each month, we'll be focusing in on one of the groups of readings. Um, and we tried to make it where um, we worked out that we didn't preach any out of Matthew since we've already preached through the book of Matthew. So we tried to make that so we would hit books. One of the reasons why we wanted to do that is because one thing that it does is it pushes Foot and I as we're teaching not just to go to things that we maybe prefer or maybe things that are a little bit easier, but it pushes us to possibly preach from places we don't normally preach from. So one whole month we're going to be preaching out of the book of Proverbs which makes both of us a little bit nervous because we've never really preached a lot out of Proverbs. But that's something, it's God's Word, and it's what we need to hear. So we, need to, we need to work through together. So we'll do this throughout the year. And then as you meet with your community groups, you'll discuss all that you've been reading, all that you've been talking about, all that you've been learning, questions that you have. So each daily reading has a place for you to write, Things that, insights, things that you saw, things you learned, things that were neat, things that were, man, I never saw that before, things that God showed you. There's a place for you to write questions. Hey, I don't understand what this means. What do we do with this? How do I apply this? And then there's places for application. These books are yours to have, and we encourage you to write, 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 write in them. We won't want this in your Bible to be your companion for the year. And so there's a place for your daily uh, readings, for your notes. And then after, when it comes time for the sermon part, there's a place for sermon notes where you can write down and then bring this with you to community group to use it as a basis for our discussion. That's an overview of how the journey is going to work. What we really want is that not just for us to be able to get to the end of the year and say, we did it. We got through the whole Bible. We did this neat idea. But what we really want to do is that as we do that, to dive into God's Word, explore places we've never spent a lot of time in, but also to get a, a better understanding of the big picture of the Bible, the breadth of the Bible, how the one overarching story or the one meta narrative of the Bible is that God created us and wants to have a relationship with us, but because of our sin, we're separated. And from all of eternity, God's plan was to send Jesus to redeem a people for himself, to know him and enjoy him forever. That's the big picture of the Bible, and that's where we're gonna be going for all of 2015. Lord willing. So this morning, I couldn't think of a better passage for us to start with than the Psalm 1 passage. So if you have already done your readings this week, you will have already read this. If you haven't done your readings, you're just a couple days behind, it's okay. Um, Don't let that stop you. Grab a book, make sure you do it. Psalm 1, if you don't know where Psalms is, you can just go about halfway in the middle of your Bible, open it up. You should be close to Psalms right there. It's the very first one, uh, Psalm 1 Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's some under the uh, pew in front of you. So let's say you don't have a journey book and you don't have a Bible. You can leave today with both. Take that Bible with you. Have a Bible, a book. Jump in with us. Psalm 1. Uh, Psalms, the Hebrew Old Testament is divided into three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. You may every now and then hear it referred to as the Tanakh. The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The Ketuvim is the Writings. Psalms is the first book that's in the writings. So as such, Psalm 1 kind of starts as an introduction to the book of Psalms. But then also it's really introduction to the entire third portion of Of the Hebrew Scriptures, so sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament, you hear them refer to the Law and the Prophets or the Law and the Writings. That's these sections. The Hebrew mind had the 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 Tanakh in the Old, what we refer to as the Old Testament, in three sections. So this is the not only the introduction to the Book of Psalms, if you will, but really an introduction to the whole third section of the Hebrew Old Testament. So Psalm One, I hope you've got it there. We're going to read it together. And then we're going to pray and jump right in. Psalm 1, six verses, says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this endeavor that you've laid before us, uh, this journey that we will go through together through your word. And God, we believe that this is your word given to us that we might know you, that you have revealed yourself to us. So Lord, I pray that this would not merely be an exercise or something that we just rotely go through. That, Father, we would meet with you and you would meet with us. And, Father, I need you this morning. I need you to clear my mind. I need you to open my mouth and to speak truth. I need you to guard my mouth from saying anything that is untrue or unhelpful. And, God, we need you to speak to us. So would you do that? Would you open our hearts to receive the truth? And to live the truth, Father, we we love you, and we long for a deeper, deeper relationship with you. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. Before we get um, really into the the points I want to bring out of this passage, there's there's one thing I think we need to we need to understand when we look at Psalm one. Um, And it's really that Psalm 1 presents to us two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. We see that in Psalm 1, verse 6. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And we see those words used several times. Psalm 1, there's the counsel of the wicked, Um, but you've got the blessed man who's not the wicked. The wicked again in verse 4, um, Lord knows the way of the righteous, verse 6. The right, uh, the wicked in verse 5. There, there's these two different groups. Now, the, the striking and what could possibly be an upsetting thing to some people is that there are only these two groups mentioned. Meaning that as we look at this passage, we are either in the group of the righteous or the group of the wicked. And we don't like, we're okay with the term righteous, we're, we're good with that. But when you use the term like wicked, we don't like that. That, that. that can really kind of grate against us because we reserve the term wicked for really, really bad people. You know, axe murderers, you know, serial killers people that you want to go on death row immediately. Those are the wicked. And what we tend to do, or maybe not we, maybe I should say what I tend to do is to kind of really think of three groups. The righteous, the pretty good, but not completely holy, but still good, and the wicked, And so I want to kind of create this continuum. My desire is to say, well, yeah, there's the righteous. Those are the the really, really awesome, really good, really just amazing people. And the wicked are the ones that are just super, just completely bad, moral immoral, wrong, you want, like you're going to catch a disease just by looking at them. Like I didn't want to be anywhere near those, but surely that can't be just the two groups. There's got to be this middle ground where most of us fall, right? We say we're not perfect, but we're not wicked. So we want to kind of create this continuum or this third group where we want to get lumped in. But the problem is, is we can't approach this passage that way because this passage, God's word right here, doesn't give us three groups. Doesn't give us a continuum. There's two options. The righteous or the wicked. And so if, if it doesn't, then we have, to, we have to look at that and say, all right, Well, if there's only two groups, I want to know where I am. My job's not to figure out where anybody else is on this. This morning, as we look at this and we dive in and we start asking this righteous, wicked, these two groups, this morning, keep yourself from starting to think of where anybody else is. This is a time for us to look inwardly at ourselves and say, the Bible says there's righteous and there's the wicked. I'm in one of these groups. How do I know where I am? Well... First thing we we know and we've said multiple times and we'll continue to say, we know that the Bible teaches that no one is righteous on their own. No one. If anybody is in the righteous category, which I think I put over here to begin with, the righteous category, it's not because they got there themselves. It's not because they did the right things, went to church enough, grew up in the right country. It's not that we know that the Bible says the only way that we are made righteous is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 521, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The only way that that happens is through faith in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection on our behalf the one that we read about this week in Matthew chapter 1, whom the angels spoke of, that the angels spoke to Joseph, said, take Mary to be your wife. The wise men came and and saw him. We read about that that week. This one who came and was born, lived the perfect life for us, died the death we deserve, and was raised from the grave so that we could be the righteousness of God. So if anyone is in the righteous category, it is not because they've done something to get themselves there. Now, if you go to church here, you you know that's every week we talk about that. It's important. We've got to keep that in mind. But it's really important this morning. I want you to get this and I want you to understand we have got to make sure that we are there this morning because the danger could be that we take these characteristics of the righteous and use them as a ladder to get there ourselves. The danger is we could look inwardly at ourselves and not sure that I've trusted the gospel and then say, well, if the characteristics of the righteous are to do these things, well, then let me start doing them. No, what happens is the righteous do these things because of what has happened to them, because Christ has redeemed them, because Christ has brought them near. You see, the the dangers that we get into is either Phariseeism, we say, well, if I do enough things, I will be righteous, or Christ has saved me, I don't have to do anything, it doesn't matter. You're being legalistic, telling me I need to read the Bible every day. And what we want to do is we want to plot a course that is in the middle of those. Yes, we want to devote ourselves, we want to discipline ourselves to read God's Word and love it and understand it, but understanding that it flows out of a heart that has been changed by Jesus. So, we've got these two groups, the righteous and the wicked, and what we want to do is we want to say, How does Psalm 1 present the characteristics of the righteous? I would say, as a group of people who've gathered together under the name of Jesus, most of us would say we've trusted Christ, He has made us righteous. And we want to live for him. We want to follow him. We want to pursue him. And if someone tells us what the righteous look like, and we say, okay, this is what we want our life to emulate. This we want our life to be like. So what does someone say the characteristics of the righteous are? Well, there's three things um, that I kind of bring out of this text, and I hope that you'll see them. And um, let's dive right in. First one is this. The righteous treasure God's word. The righteous treasure God's word. See this in verses one and two. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now we see the very first word there, blessed is the man. Now we we have to make sure that we understand blessing. Blessing is the one whom on whom God's favor rests, so, if you are blessed, God's favor rests on you. Ephesians 1. He has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly realms. We, have, we are in Christ. We've been brought near. Blessing is God's favor. That favor doesn't necessarily mean you've got a brand new Porsche for Christmas or one of the Lexuses with the giant red bows parked outside. That's not, that's not the, the, the end all be all of God's favor. God's favor is his nearness, his pleasure in you. That's God's favor. So, blessed is the man. Who, and then what he does is we set up these three different contrasts. So each of these points is really a contrast, a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. So if we look at the first contrast here, it's the contrast of the association with the wicked and association with God's word. One commentator said that verse one really summarized as the opinions, practical life and association of those who don't follow God. So you have the idea of walking, which is living by their opinions. The idea of standing in the way of sinners. So living the way that they live practically and sitting in the seat of scoffers, having a constant association with them. So the idea here is this this contrast Between saying the blessed man, the one on whom God's favor rests, we find as we read the righteous man, his desire is not to have his life consumed, associated with, his mind filled with, and his joy found in the things of this world. But rather... Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, what he enjoys and what he fills his mind with is not the things of this world, but the things of God. That which brings the righteous delight is what glorifies God. That which they fill their minds is that which exalts God. This point of loving God's word is foundational not only to this point, but to the other two points that follow. The way that Psalm 1 is set up, the way that it flows, is that it begins with the righteous delighting and treasuring and meditating on God's Word, and the other two points are connected and flow out of it. There's two more contrasts that are given, but both of those are rooted in this one, showing us the importance of what's going on here. And the question is, why is it so important? Well, the fact of the matter is we serve, love, and follow a speaking God. Have you stopped to think about that? We love, serve, and follow a speaking God. If you've done your readings this week, think about the number of times already that we've read in three days about God speaking or communicating something through spoken words. Genesis 1, he spoke the world into existence. Genesis 2, he blessed Adam and Eve. He commanded them, told them to be fruitful and multiply. When they rebelled against God in Genesis 3, he spoke the curse against them. When Cain uh, killed Abel, what did he say? He, he spoke a word over Abel. He's interacting, he's speaking. Um, think about when God sent the angel to speak to Joseph when uh, he's, he's there with Mary. He's about to divorce Mary and he says no. You know, take her was conceived in hers of the Holy Spirit. Think about how God communicated to the wise men through a dream. He spoke to them, told them to go back a different way. Think about uh, Acts 1. Jesus is about to go into heaven. What does he do? He speaks a word of command to his apostles. Then we, had, we read about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And what's happening? People from all over the world are hearing of the mighty acts of God in their own language. The Holy Spirit is filling them so that they can speak the words of God to people. I mean, this is just three days that we've read. Three days, and all of those are examples of how God is a speaking God. And the great thing is, and the powerful thing is, God doesn't just speak and the words have an effect and then they evaporate. God has spoken and He's caused His words to be recorded and to be secured and saved for us and for all so that we can read and hear and follow. The reason why the righteous meditate on the day on the law of the Lord day and night and find delight in it is because it's not just a book. It's not just tips and tricks for a better life. It is the very word of God. So as we open up the scriptures and we wake up in the morning or before we go to bed or on your lunch break as you're sitting here and we're doing this journey, we're not coming to it and say, well, I just want to be a better person so let me try to find some some. Some, you know, a Pinterest board that gives me six ways to be more organized. No, we're coming to this. This is God's word who shows us who we are, who he is, what he wants for us, how we should live, ways that we see about him that causes us to worship. These are the words of God. And so the righteous say... What's more important to me than what people think or how people think I should act or what people think I should do or all this stuff in the world? What's most important to me is what God has to say. If He's real and He's spoken, we want to hear. That's the desire of the heart of the righteous. I read something this week as I was studying that was kind of troubling. In 2012, LifeWay Research released a, uh, the findings of a survey that they did of church-going adults. Now they made it clear this is church-going adults, so they didn't ask the question about, you know, are you a born-again believer? or They really dig in it. This is just people who say, hey, I go to church regularly. 90% of the people surveyed church-going adults in America, 90% of those surveyed agreed with the statement, I desire to please and honor Jesus with all that I do. 90% said, I, I desire to please and honor Jesus with all that I do. That's pretty good, right? 90%. I'm trying to figure out why the other 10% are even going to church, but it's okay. <laughs> I didn't do the survey. Here's the, uh, here was the troubling thing. 19% of those surveyed stated they read the Bible on a daily basis. If you add in the percentage that say they read it once or twice a week, you're only at about 40%. That, that, that was a little bit troubling to me. And I, and I understand, I, again, I'm not trying to be legalistic. So You've got to read your Bible every day or you're one of the wicked. No, that's not what I'm saying. What was troubling is that if these are the words of God and it really can change our life, it is God speaking to us even now, why would it be that we wouldn't just plan our day around it? You know, oftentimes the reason why people say that they, they just don't have enough time, but to be honest, to be honest, we have time. We have time for the things we want to have time for. You know, I uh, last year i uh, i ran a I ran a triathlon last year, and so in January i uh, i got I got intense about it because it scared the mess out of me. Because I'm thinking, if I'm going to swim, bike, and run all this much, I don't, I've never even run a 5K before this. I'm, I, I don't know what kind of idiotic plan this was for me to start doing this. So, But it scared me a little bit. So I got together, and so I got, a, I got a training regimen. I knew the only time that I could do that was I had to wake up early so that I could be done by the time everybody in our house starts kind of getting going so that I can be there to help out with stuff in the mornings and all that. So I knew I was got to wake up early. Well, the other thing that I do that I wake up early is the only time our house is quiet with four kids um, is before they all wake up. And so I knew that if I was going to do this I got to wake up early to exercise but I also still want to read my bible before before I got to work and all that kind of stuff and so what I found was about a month into my training I would make sure that I'd go to bed a little bit early. I'd make sure my alarm was set. I'd make sure all my clothes were ready so when I woke up in the morning, I could get dressed and I could hit the gym or I could hit the pool or I could get on my bike or I could do all this kind of stuff. And I would do that. And I would make sure I wasn't going to miss a day of that training because I was scared to death. I would die in the middle of the triathlon if I didn't do that. And so I was committed. I was doing it. I was going. And you know what I found? I found that I would give whatever time I needed to do that. And if I woke up late, I'm ashamed to say that so many times when I would wake up late, what I would choose to do was go run or go ride my bike or go hit the pool and say, well, if I've got to choose because I don't have time to do that or read my Bible, well, I need to go do this now. I'll just read my Bible later what I found is I started doing that a little more regularly. And as I started doing it a little more regularly, I, did, I really didn't read my Bible later, but I kept doing my workouts. Why, Why am I telling you that? I don't know, because it doesn't make me look good. But what it does do is what I want you to know is that it was important to me that I got my training in so that I could finish this race. So much so that I began letting that which was ultimately important to my soul, I said, that's not as important. Why? Because I chose the other over that. Now, now again, don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, okay, I put myself in the wicket because I, I went and rode my bike instead of riding my Bible. Here's what I'm saying, though. When we want to do something, something we delight in, something's important to us, we make time for it. We make time for it. We say, this is important. I have to do all these other things today or here's the things that I want to do today, but this will not get put to the side. I'll plan this and then schedule everything else around it if I have to, why? Because this is really important to me. What we've got to do is we've got to be able to say, if God's word is really good, And really wonderful, and we really want to delight in it, we have to make sure it's a priority for us. Now, we won't delight in God's Word if we don't spend time in it. Um, Some of you who know me better than others know that um, I like coffee just a little bit, a lot, a whole lot, um, and drink it, you know, pot or two a day. It's just good stuff. But I remember when I first started drinking coffee, was in college. It was my senior year in college, and I had never really liked coffee up until then. Um, And I was with a study group at uh, a friend's house, and somebody there made a pot of coffee. And for some reason, I decided, I don't know why, but I just decided I was going to drink a cup of coffee, and I kind of liked it. It had a whole lot of cream and a whole lot of sugar and not a lot of coffee. And it was okay because I kind of liked it, you know. And a few days later, I tried another cup, and... Then I moved to Wyoming for a year, and there was a stretch in the winter where it never got above 14 degrees, and so you needed something to help keep you warm, so I started drinking coffee a little bit more, kind of started liking it a little bit more. Carrie and I got married, went to seminary, still didn't really have, you know, maybe a cup in the mornings, but not really even every morning, still doing the whole heavy creamer and stuff like that, and if it didn't have the flavored creamer, I just wouldn't really drink it, but after I graduated from seminary, I started drinking coffee more and what I started doing is started dropping the creamer and the sugar and started drinking it black. And as I started drinking it black, I started noticing differences between this blend and this blend. And this would taste a little bit like this and this would taste like this. And Folgers isn't really coffee. That's pencil shavings. And so don't want to <laughs> drink that. And then and you start noticing and what I found was the more I started the more I started drinking it, the more I started really liking it, the more I started noticing this complexity and the differences in flavors, and I could taste all, and it, the more I liked it, the more I wanted it. And why do I tell you that? Well, the reason why is I never would have delighted in coffee had I never started drinking it. But as I started drinking it and drank it more and more, the more I found I didn't just get to where I want something to pick me up in the morning. I got something where I really enjoy it. I delight in it. I want to have some more wine because it's good and so some of you right now are saying you know what i hear what you're saying i want to like the bible it's just hard to read and i want to set that time up and i'm really going to try but i'm just telling you i just don't understand it it's just it's just weird to me some of it and i can understand the new testament the old testament stuff here's what i would say you will never grow to delight in god's word if you don't discipline yourself to read god's word You'll never grow to delight in God's word if you don't discipline yourself to read God's word. Okay. Second characteristics of the righteous in Psalm 1 the righteous need God's strength. The righteous needs God's strength. So we move into the next contrast, and we see it's between a tree and chaff. Now, if you're not sure what chaff is, you see uh, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. If you're not sure what chaff is, good time to learn about that uh, because the Bible uses this imagery uh, many times. Chaff is, um, is the stalk that a grain of wheat grows on. So as wheat grows, it kind of looks, I guess, kind of like grass, I guess. And so it's got this long stalk, and then the wheat grain is at the top. Now the chaff is all of that that's underneath, and then the stuff that kind of surrounds the wheat grain as well. So all of this, they, w- they would harvest it. they just harvest the big, long stalks. they put it together, and then animals would walk on it. And when they walked on it, the wheat kernels would get separated from everything else, the chaff. And then as they would they would take like a pitchfork and they would throw all of it up in the air. And it's funny, I've um, been, been to Ethiopia four times and every time I've been there, I've seen people doing this. They still do this today in some places. So they have, they have animals that walk on it. They walk on this wheat and then as they, they take a pitchfork and they throw it up in the air and as they throw it in the air, the wheat is heavy enough that it falls back to the ground, but the chaff, this really light stuff that's around the wheat grain and the stalk and all is is super light and the wind just blows it away. So they keep doing this, they thresh it, and as they do it, all the chaff just kind of blows away. It's dry, it has no value, the animals can't eat it. The only thing it's good for is throwing into the fire. That's it. And so the contrast here then is that the righteous is like a tree, strong, growing. The wicked are like chaff, The righteous are like a tree that is planted and firm. The wicked are like chaff that is driven away. The righteous are a tree that yields fruit. The wicked are the straw and this thing that has no nutrition. The righteous have leaves that do not wither. The wicked are blown away by the wind. You see the contrast of what's going on here is that of life and sustaining through all the difficulties, through a longevity of all of life versus something that is only temporary and then is blown away. The fact of the matter is what we see here is that the righteous are sustained through life. This is not of their own doing though because look what it says in verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That's not an active. It doesn't say he is like a tree who has planted himself by streams of water. He's like a tree that has been planted by streams of water. What is this stream of water that nourishes the plant? Well, we go back to verse two. It is the law of the Lord. It is God's word that sustains us and provides the living water. The righteous live in the understanding that the only strength they can count on is not their own, but God's. And we find this through his spirit, through his word. But can I tell you something else? There's also a really strong word of encouragement in this contrast, at least it is for me. In verse three, look what it says. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. So the idea there, this water, the roots run down deep. The stream is constantly nourishing, constantly helping this tree to grow, to be strong, to be stable. But then what it says, that yields its fruit in its season. Um, We, you know, we kind of named each one of these sections. Um, The whole idea of the journey was kind of a map since we're doing this journey of a map. And then each one of these sections uh, would be kind of a, um, kind of like a landmark or something. We call this one the Oaks of Righteousness, kind of based off of this passage. Um, And as I was reading, um, I had studied this passage before kind of thinking about oaks. And one of the things that I didn't know about oak trees is that the, the fruit, if you will, that an oak tree produces is acorns, right? So oak trees produce acorns. Did you know that most oak trees don't produ- start producing acorns until they're about 50 years old? So it's not like a, an oak sapling then all of a sudden starts creating acorns. Some species of oak trees, I think what I read was most species of oak trees, don't start producing acorns until they're about 50 years old. Why do I tell you that? Well, I don't know about you, But sometimes I get into something like a Bible reading plan and I can go a couple of weeks and feel like all I'm doing is just reading words. I mean, I'm in Leviticus for crying out loud. What's going on here? I'm in some of these minor prophets and I don't really see how in the world this applies to my life. I'm reading the Sermon on the mountain. I've read it multitudes of times but there's nothing new that's full of, and so I'm sitting here and and what I'm doing is I'm feeling like there's there's nothing coming out of this. I'm just going through a routine. I'm just I'm just walking through this. And what I want to encourage you with is that like a tree planted by the streams whose roots run deep into the Word, the living water of God, you will, Bear fruit in season. You will. The righteous who plunge deep into the waters of the living God will bear fruit in season. So, what that means is for you and I, as we start thinking, well, I'm just reading this, this is it just worse? Is it just a routine? it encourages us then to say, no, 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 I am not going to give up because I believe that God said I will bear fruit if in season as I endeavor in this. So as I see this word that is extremely valuable because it is God's word, I'm going to continue and I'm going to persevere in this because I believe he will produce fruit in my life from jumping into this. Let that be an encouragement to you. Mid-February, early April, June when you're on vacation, September when you're at a point where you feel like, okay, maybe I've done enough, November when the holidays are coming and you don't know if you're gonna be able to finish it all the way out. Let that continually be an encouragement to you that those who are in Christ, who are righteous, who are plunging themselves in the word, feeding on the stream of God's word, That we will bear fruit in season. Let that be an encouragement to you. Third thing, third contrast or, or characteristic of the righteous, I guess, is this the righteous long for God's presence. Righteous long for God's presence. And I get this from verses five and six. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, one of the things that's different about this contrast in verses five and six than the other two um, is the other two seem to focus more on the righteous, kind of more their characteristics, more of what's going on with them, what happens with them. This contrast seems to focus more on the wicked. Um, and what happens is, remember the connection to the meditating on God's word, delighting in God's word. And so because the righteous love and meditate on God's word, they are like a tree, so they, 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 they rely on God's strength, not on their own, and that strength sustains them, and it causes them to their leaf to remain green during times of trouble, and during times of drought, they are still there, they're producing fruit but not the wicked. Therefore, the wicked. The, the result is the wicked don't do this. They're the scoffers. They're the one who laugh. They're the ones who value the world more than they value God. They're the ones who care more about own personal pleasures than they are of seeking God. The ones who laugh at the things of God. These ones who don't treasure God's word will not stand in the judgment or stand in the congregation of the righteous. Now this doesn't mean that there are people who are in this group of the wicked who won't be in churches, in Christian groups. It's not what this is saying because you notice what it says in verse 5, that they won't stand in the judgment. So the idea here is at the end of time as every one of us faces God, but the question is, why is this connected then to the word? Why will the wicked not stand in judgment or in the congregation of the righteous? Why will they not be with God forever? Why is it and why is that connected to its word, to the word? And I think Psalm 19 illustrates this. Because when you look at Psalm 19, what you find is verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 speak of the glory of God in creation. So the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So verses 1 through 6 speak of how creation shows the glory of God. But then verses 7 through 14 14 make a transition. Verses 7 through 14 go really specifically to the word of God. So verses 1 through 6, what theologians call general revelation, the world shows us the glory of God. Romans 1, the power and attributes of God are evident before all. So no one is without excuse. But notice then the transition in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and the righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, here we go. This is, I think this is important. This kind of ties it all together. Verses 11 and 12. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. See, the reality is, as we are not exposed to God's word, as we are not seeing God's truth, as we are not seeing God as he has revealed himself in the revelation of his word, we don't know the power of the word, the way the word convicts, the way the the word shapes, the way the word shows us our sinfulness, the way the word shows us our need for a savior, and the way the word shows us how Christ has provided all of that. God's word goes where creation can't. Creation reveals the evidence that God is real. God's word shows our need for a savior and how we can be redeemed. That's why the righteous, won't, the righteous will stand the wicked want. They don't care anything about God's word. They don't care about what it says. They don't care about what it means. They don't care about any of that. They're more worried just about their own desires and they don't seek after God as he's revealed in his word. Earlier, I mentioned that uh, Psalm One was the first part of the writings. Um, the the second part, the the prophets, the very first part of that is the book of Joshua. Now, Joshua One Eight says something interesting, and this should sound familiar to you. Joshua One Eight says this: "The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous." and you will have good success. Do you notice how that sounds so much like Psalm one read it again. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's not accidental that at the beginning of both of these sections of the Hebrew Bible, this very similar phrase of the one who prospers, the one who's in God's favor, is the one who meditates on the law day and night. Now, when we see this word law, we tend to go to law equals rules. So what we think then is the author is saying, so what I need to do is go find God's rules and study God's rules. The problem with that is the law doesn't just refer to the rules. The law refers to the first five books of the Bible. And a majority of what's found in the first five books of the Bible isn't rules, but rather stories that point us to God. Point us to our need. Yes, there are rules there, but the law in its totality is written not just to give us rules to follow. The law is given to show us our inability to keep the rules and that we need someone who can keep the rules for us. And that we need to be like Abraham, the man who was counted righteous, not because he kept rules, but because he believed God. And don't be like Moses, the man who had the rules, but didn't act in faith. We need somebody who can keep the law for us. And what we find is that that is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. Not only did he keep every single one of the rules, he also fulfilled all of the prophecies and the promises that were contained in the law. And so what we find is that the righteous meditate on God's word because in it we find salvation. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you study the scriptures because you believe in them, you will find eternal life. And he says, you miss it because they're talking about me. You see, as we meditate on the Scriptures, as we meditate on Genesis, as we meditate on Habakkuk, as we meditate on the Psalms, as we meditate on 2 Corinthians, as we meditate on Amos, as we meditate on Proverbs, as we meditate on Revelation, as we meditate on all of these, Jesus is telling us the whole totality of this is meant to point you to me. And as we go through that and we're constantly brought near to Jesus and we're constantly brought to Jesus, it causes us to deepen our faith, trust the gospel every day more and more. And that is what allows us to stand one day longing for the presence of God. And if we care nothing about it, we miss it. So what do we do with this? Well, there's three things I'd like to say. One, we must examine our hearts. We must examine our hearts. Don't assume that we, we can't assume that we are righteous because we attend church or because we grew up in church. What we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, do I delight in God's word? Now, now a word of caution. It's easy then, my, my goal, let's, let, me, let me back up. My goal is not to cause you to doubt your salvation because you don't read the Bible every day. That's not my goal. But let me ask you this Do you love God's Word? Do you like hearing it taught? Does it challenge you? Do you want to know it more? Yeah, there may be difficulties. Yeah, there may be things hard. Do you want to be able to say, man, at the end of the year, I read the entire Bible. I read things I'd never read before. God taught me so much. I want to read it more. Is that the desire of your heart? As it is, if that is it, then ask God to kindle that flame even more. But let me tell you this. If even as I was speaking today, you thought you know what I've never really had any desire for the Bible don't really care anything about reading it I come to church because somebody drags me to church or I'm I just go in through the motions I don't really care remember there's not a continuum and if you've heard this this morning you, you, you've you heard the truth of the gospel And God, by His grace, is saying, if you hear this, and this isn't representative of your heart, examine your heart. Peter tells us in 2 Corinthians to examine ourselves to see if we are of the faith. Paul does, not Peter. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. Examine ourselves to see if we're of the faith. And if we are, persevere. And if we're not, there's no greater time than now to repent and turn to Jesus. Trust the gospel. Second thing is this, we must set our priorities. Just completely just straightforward. If we love Jesus, his word will become a priority in our life. It will. And so, so as we're, we're seeking this, not because we want to be able to say we had so many people go through this, because we want this to be true of your life. If, if this is true, and you're saying right now, man, I struggle, this is the hardest thing for me spiritually. When I, I remember being in seminary, um, and the thing that was the hardest for me to do in seminary was to read God's word every day. I was studying books, I was studying theology, I was remem- memorizing Greek words and all kinds of stuff like that, but I it was the hardest thing in the world for me to read my Bible every single day just to read it to be with God and it wasn't until God just really gripped my heart and I had to say this has got to be a priority for me and I disciplined myself that it really began blossoming and coming just alive I want to challenge you I want to challenge you the average American spends five hours a day watching TV 40 minutes a day Looking at their Facebook feed. And if you don't have Facebook, you spend forty minutes a day doing something else. So don't think you're better than everybody else. We all have things in our life that we spend time with. Is this something that you would say, I want to know God, I want to delight in His Word. If you want to delight in His Word, make it a priority in your life. Third thing is this we must persevere. We must persevere. Almost every New Year's resolution, I I should have looked up the statistics on the amount of New Year's resolutions that are actually kept. But you know what? This isn't just a New Year's resolution. This is a desire. But think about this. This is an opportunity. This is a privilege. This is a joy. Can you imagine what God can do in and through us as we say, God, I love you, and I want to read your word, and I want to be able to tell somebody I come in contact with the awesome things that I learned in Ezekiel chapter 1. Wheels amongst wheels and eyes. It was amazing. God taught me such great things. Can you imagine the fruit that could be born in our lives as we persevere in this together and we say, we're going to study God's word. We're going to love it. And when it gets tough, we're just going to say, I don't know. It's tough, but isn't it good? Because God has spoken to us. God has spoken to us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing? So why wouldn't we persevere? Let's do this. Let's go together. Let's endeavor and encourage each other. When you're in community group or you're with somebody and they say, you know, I hadn't read my journey in a couple of weeks, encourage them, push them. Remind them. This is our life-sustaining source and you will bear fruit in season. This is how God encourages you so that your leaf will not wither when things are hard. What can God do? What will God do? So I wanna encourage you. Join us. Persevere. Fight for this. Make it a priority. And let's rejoice together in what God has done in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. God, thank you for the fact that... You haven 't left us as orphans, you have given us your word, you have spoken, and as second Peter says that men spoke as they were carried along by the prophets, and then he said he heard the voice of God speaking on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was even better as we had the prophetic word, more sure that God Peter would take the Bible and say it was even better than hearing that voice on the mountain because it 's your words recorded in such vast array. So God, I pray. Oh God, would you do something awesome in us? Would you do something amazing in us? When we get tired, when we get weary, bring people alongside us, encourage us. God, speak truth to us. And I pray that you would take those passages that are sometimes hard and sometimes difficult and you would blow us away with them. God, I pray that you would just revolutionize our life because our delight is in your word, that we would meditate on it day, night, morning, evening, lunch breaks, God, all the other time that we would love your word. God, I pray that you would create within us a hunger and a love and a passion for your word. And it would overflow in our lives with worship. It would overflow in our lives with a desire for those who are walking far from you to be brought near that they might know the delight and the joy that we have found. Oh God, would you do something? We plead with you. We need you. We know that the righteous delight in your word. So God, we're declaring, we delight and we're asking that you would fulfill that delight as only you can. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ.